on track. The only thing matters is a win. That's it. However, whatever, whatever it takes. Let's go, man. Let's win on three. One, two, three. Win. Live. 319. In the entertainment capital of the world. Vikings blitz. Manning got it off the rare deep throw. And maybe that's why they don't do it. Intercepted by Xavier Rhodes. It's the T.C. Martin Show. They're not used to this damn heat. They over there trying to set up damn pits over there on the sideline. Hey, it's a ride. It's time to get your daily prescription from the doctor, T.C. Martin. Okay, well, I ain't going to worry about you no more. 300 yards, four touchdowns. It's so sweet when you walk off the field knowing you gave everything you got. Team win tonight. The doctor is now in. How you like me now? 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 Hour number deuce right here on a, call it, Magnificent Monday, Manic Monday. Call it what you want. Right here as we continue on nonstop sports talk. And this hour we're talking some more college football big news coming out of the SEC earlier today. And then also we'll take you to the sports book. Chuck Esposito will join us at the bottom of the hour. Chucky Chuck over at Red Rock Station Casino's executive director of race and sports. The winners and the losers of the sports book yesterday, specifically in the National Football League yesterday. Overs and favorites cover again. Continuing on here. Hour number two. Yes. Join us. Part two. The maestro, as I like to call him, of college football, college basketball, all of the above. The one and only Tim Brando joins us again. What's going on, Timmy B? <laughs> Just pulling the strings here at the Chateau, baby. Uh, How are you? Oh, so good, so good, so good. All right, so the big news, Jimbo Fisher fired at Texas A&M. Uh, Ross Bjork, I guess you know him better than I do, the uh, athletic director. I don't even know if I'm saying his uh, his name properly no, or not. Yeah. Yeah, you are. Okay, there you go. Well, he said it was his decision to fire Jimbo Fisher. Use this quote. Said that the program is stuck in neutral. Said that he called Texas A&M interim president Mark Welsh at uh, after the loss to Ole Miss, which happened the week prior. They had a meeting last mm-hmm. Thursday. And uh, they're basically their mind was made up prior to the game they had this weekend, where A and M rolled over Mississippi State fifty-one to ten. Here's Bjork's comment. He says the assessment that I delivered was that we are not reaching our full potential. We are not in the championship conversation, and something was not quite right about the direction and the plan. We should be relevant on the national scene. So Jimbo Fisher fired uh, Texas A and M. Relevant? Well. They're not Alabama, as much as they'd like to be. They're not Ohio State. They're not Michigan. They're not even USC. They're not Penn State. They're not LSU. They're not Florida State. They won a championship, oh, back in the day under Jimbo Fisher, or even Auburn or Miami and Oklahoma. But I get that you want national championships. I get you want conference championships. But maybe you should have stayed in the Big 12. I guess that's another story, though, right? But here's the deal. The, 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 this is probably a mistake from Jump Street in hiring him. But what certainly was a mistake was the amount of money that AM signed off for in giving Jimbo Fisher. In Fisher's first three years at college stations, he was, he was 26 and 10, finished number four in 2020, second highest ranking the program's ever had going back to the 1939 championship. But here's what's going to happen now Fisher's dismissal is going to cost Texas A&M more than $76 million to buy out his contract, nearly triple the highest-known previous coaching contract buyout at a public school. Fisher's owed 19.2 mil within 60 days, and then 7.2 annually. Every year, he's going to get a check. This is like the Bobby Bonilla situation through 2031. <laughs> it is, right? I mean, there's no offset, no mitigation to these payments, and the annual payments start 120 days after the termination. So there's a lot to unpack here. And let me just, before I turn it over to you, Timmy, Fisher was given a 10-year, $75 million fully guaranteed contract in December of 2017. And then when the Aggies hired him from Florida State, where he won that national championship I mentioned after 2013, then they extended him. Going back, what, two years ago? So now they're on the hook 
2031. What is going on here? Well, well, it's a case study on how to not operate a business, courtesy college football and its administrations. And I, I listen, I like Ross Bjork. I've known him for a long time. He was the athletic director at Ole Miss before um, he got to A&M. And my daughter was going to Ole Miss at that time. And he was at Western Kentucky prior to that uh, as an athletic director. He's a smart guy. But he and those oil bar- those old barren cronies in Texas, they got used and abused and leveraged by the outgoing athletic director, Scott Woodward, who is the guy that hired him in the first place in 2017. And then Scott left to become the athletic director at his alma mater, which happens to be LSU. And after the COVID season ended, okay, and that was the COVID season, I think that the the reaction, the big mistake here, you know, you make a, you can make a mistake and say, well, you know, maybe the program at Florida State was fading. He was having marital problems in uh, Tallahassee. Um, you know, uh, he, he has a, and I don't know that many people know this about Jimbo, but he, he has a special needs uh, son. Uh, and I've known Jimbo since he was an assistant coach to Saban when they won the national title in 2003. Jimbo's a hell of an offensive mind, and uh, at one time, I think, was probably deemed the best play caller in all of college football. That was 20 years ago. He's, you know, he, he's, he's earned uh, his position as one of the top coaches uh, that would be worth, you know, a lot of money to be hired as a head coach. And he was, you know, paid a lot. Um, he, he did, to some extent, uh, move St. Bobby out of Florida State maybe a little uh, uncomfortably for me. Yep. Uh, it di- I didn't particularly like the way that uh, he was sort of urging Florida State to, to get Bobby to leave before Bobby wanted to leave. That was the first time I really was a bit at odds with Jimbo about anything. He could have waited another year, but but he was he was getting impatient, and he had other opportunities. And now I guess the mistake there was Florida State hired a coach in waiting similar to what, you know, was going on at Texas with Mac Brown and a few other places. That became kind of a popular thing to do. You know, uh, Will Muschamp was a coach in waiting, if you, mm-hmm. if you recall. Uh, and then he wound up leaving uh, and going someplace else. So, so Florida State didn't want that to happen with Jimbo, and they, uh, in a very, I thought, ugly manner, uh, got Bobby out before Bobby wanted to be out. He just wanted one more season. But the thing with Fisher, when you say you hired him, to A&M, well, there's only a handful of guys that have, that are sitting coaches that have won national championships. You know, you're, you're in the era of Saban. It's a little bit like being a PGA touring pro during the Tiger era. You know, you weren't going to win as many majors in the era of Saban. Uh, but, but I mean, he did have one, of them, you know, and people can talk about Jameis Winston carrying him. I, I don't believe that for one minute. I think that's a very unfair criticism that Jameis Winston carried him to that title. Jimbo had to coach his butt off to to get Jameis to settle down uh, off the field and on uh, to get to the national championship. That was not an easy job to do when they won it in 2013. Hey, hey Tim, but let me... Sorry, I'm sorry, but, but you, you said you said Jameis. I had to throw this fact in. You know, Jimbo Fisher is going to get paid more now not to coach A&M than Jameis right. Winston has been paid his entire NFL career. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Sorry. sorry. Anyway, my point here about the hiring is it made sense to hire a guy uh, for that kind of money, seven point five million for ten years annually. That's a good number. It yep. was a competitive number with Saban, and uh, he was just three years removed from winning it all. So it was a good hire, at least on paper, if you wanted to win over the All Barons and all that big time Texas money, uh, which he did. All right, but they they were not living up to the advance billing. Uh, they did get the home win against Alabama a few years ago, but the COVID season when they finished just outside the college football playoff. And they were actually ranked fifth in that last CFP. I believe when the uh, the final ranking that you cited when they finished number four came after the playoff was over. And right. they, they fell into the four-lap courtesy of the AP. But the thing that you've got to remember here 
is it was the COVID season. That was an asterisk year. I mean, uh, hell, Indiana gave Tom Allen a big boost that they're worried about paying off because of what Michael Penix did for him at Indiana. You know, they beat Penn State at home and all this. A lot of people made mistakes uh, after the COVID season with uh, coaching contracts and extensions, but 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 none were bigger than A&M's. I, Ross should have never done that with him. But the reason they did it was because the Ed Orgeron situation blew up after the 19 season in what year? 2020. Yeah. It blew up. And everyone in A&M was scared to death that Scott Woodward, who hired him originally, would bring Jimbo to Baton Rouge because Fisher's name had popped up for every opening LSU had had since Nick Saban left. And even during the time he was at Florida State, and now here's Scott, the new AD who hired him at A&M, who could have literally gone back to the Aggies and stolen him and taken him to, to Scott's um, alma mater. And that is what scared Ross Bjork, the AD there now, into coercing uh, the 12th Man Club to come up with this extension that was going to guarantee him $77 million, which now they are going to have to pay, in addition to the 75 10-year deal that they made initially. So, yeah, that was a definite mistake. Um, but the bottom line to all of this is Jimmy Sexton, the, the, the agent for not just Jimmy, uh, not just Jim, not just Jimbo Fisher, but for, for Saban, for Lane Giffen, for name all but four coaches in the Southeastern Conference. Okay. He doesn't, he doesn't have Kelly, but anybody else of note, anybody besides Brian Kelly in the SEC is pretty much owned and operated by Jimmy Sexton. And Sexton has been killing not only the athletic directors in the SEC with leverage, but he's also been hammering legally, okay, with fine print, these, these, these lawyers that the schools hire who must finish last in their class. That's all I can think. <laughs> because these coaches are getting 10-year deals. Who would, who would sign, uh, who, who now, given the transfer portal, given uh, NIL, given all the things you got to deal with now, why would anyone that's in the hiring position want to hire a head coach for anything more than three or four years? No contract should last more than five. Hmm. And most of it, in my mind, ought to be three or four. Because, you know, you're not, the, the old adage was, you need to sign this guy and get him wrapped up so you can be okay with recruiting. Well, now, you don't have to worry about that. You know, recruiting, hell, you can recruit a guy, but you've got to re-recruit him every year. So it doesn't make sense. You know, having a guy with a binding contract is not going to suddenly make you a better recruiter than the next guy. Not anymore. So these, these administrators need to catch up because they're getting bludgeoned now uh, in boardrooms and in smoke-filled rooms. And, uh, but I will say this about A&M. Uh, they felt like that you know, not only was the Ole Miss game a problem that they lost two, two weeks ago, but after they lost to Miami early in the season, when A&M lost that game, there were a lot. I know a lot of Aggies because I think outside the state of Texas, Shreveport, Louisiana, I think has the third most Aggie alums uh, of any city uh, in outside the state of Texas. And so I know a lot of Aggies. And they wanted him gone from the moment that, that loss at Miami took place. So this has been going for, going on for a long, long time. But I do I do believe that Ross is the guy that pulled the plug. And the 12th Man Foundation, which is made up of all these oil guys, they're going to put up the lion's share of this $77 million, But they can only put up a certain amount of it because the university does have, within the contract, oh, about 20% culpability here. So all that television revenue coming from ESPN and ABC, that's going to be used for, you know, a coach who's, uh, you know, basically been given his last rights and won't coach until 2031. What does that tell you about how the business of, of uh, intercollegiate athletics is run? It's, it's, a, it's not pretty. And as far as ADs go, people, whether it's Ross Bjork or, or the guy at LSU, they got no problem spending other people's money. It's not their money. They're spending other people's money. And they don't have a problem with that. And um, I do think it might affect who they get this time around. 
Uh, I don't know that a high-profile guy will be someone that A&M comes up with this time around, uh, but we'll see. Uh, there are a lot of good coaches out there that would work for $5 million right now in the SEC, and that's you know roughly half what Jimbo was making, and they could still get them. I mean, uh, if, I'm, if, I'm A, if I'm A&M right now, I go to Jonathan Smith. I call Jonathan Smith at Oregon State, and, and I say, hey, I got, I got five and a half to start. We'll do a deal to get you up to 10 in your fifth year. You good with that? And Jonathan is coaching in purgatory right now <laughs> right. in the pack. Yeah. So why wouldn't you or Jonathan Smith take that job? Mm-hmm. Uh, so they'll get a really good coach. But I think it, again, underscores uh, the whole Jimbo Fisher mess, underscores how really inept uh, the administrations of these, of these high-powered institutions are when it comes to cutting deals with agents like Jimmy Sexton. I mean, they're just, they're made to look like fools. And of course, the, uh, the donors, in this case, the 12th Man Foundation or, you know, at Clemson, it could be Ipte, you know, the IP, IP 10 a year crowd, or, you know, at LSU, it could be the TAF crowd, the Tiger Athletic Foundation. They're made to look like fools every time something like this comes up because every coaching hire, it would appear, is a knee jerk panic reaction hire. And this one is, I think probably got to move to the top of the list right now. They they basically have now A and M is now topped Auburn as the school that's paying the most dead money for a coach not to coach at their school. Mm-hmm. And think about Gus Malzahn; he's having a losing season at Central Florida right now, but being paid handsomely. He's also being paid by Auburn twenty one million, which was the record up until yesterday. For a buyout, and who did his deal? Jimmy, Jimmy Sexton. Sexton, right? Yep. And you mentioned yep. Brian Kelly, so he's in the middle of a ten-year, ninety-five million dollar deal. So another huge contract. And then we know Tim, you know better than anybody there in LSU. I mean, they have no patience whatsoever. I mean, they jettisoned Les Miles at Augeron, and now Brian Kelly, he's not winning anybody over, but they, you know, continue to shell out the, these big dollars here. It, it just well, seems like a a mess after mess, and these college coaches' yeah. contracts, they are just simply out of control. But what blows me away is the buyouts are even worse than the original contracts they're signing them yeah, to. They are. They are. I will say this. I think Brian, all things considered, is, is I don't know that anybody's worth that kind of bread, but I think that even with the season he's had this year uh, with a historically bad defense, he's still got the program going in the right direction. And and they are going to be much better defensively in the next uh, you know year or two. There's no doubt in my mind. And if their quarterback hap- happens to win the Heisman, and he could right now, I'd put him in a as a. Uh, uh, I think I think the odds now for him are third best uh, among those. Uh, if you keep up with such things in Vegas out there where you are, yes, I think he's third best with the odds. Uh, if they can go nine and three, you know, finish out with wins and get to a bowl game and get to 10, BK will be okay. And I think that LSU still is in a much better position to compete with and ultimately beat either Bama or Georgia, who are the two elite programs in the, in the conference right now. But, yeah, all these deals are out of whack. I mean, they're, they are all out of whack, no doubt about that. But that once you've done it, once you've made these deals, you can't, you can't really do anything about it. I suspect that Brian Kelly can win a national championship within five years, uh, and now he's in year two. So we'll see. But the, the reason I said that was Ed Orgeron won his uh, in, in less than three years. Uh, Les Miles won his in less than five years. Well, I'm just going to tell you, when I stack up the resumes of those three men, Brian Kelly's is going to be a hell of a lot higher than either Les or Orgeron. Okay, so I think he'll get there. But again, what is it worth to you? Okay. And how bad do you want to be made to look from a business standpoint? Uh, and right now, as long as the, as these, uh, you know, I'll tell you, Louisiana, Alabama, Florida, uh, you name the state, you could put all of them together, TC, all of them. And they don't have the money that the state of Texas does. <laughs> That's right. They don't have what? They don't have the money that A&M has. They don't have the money that the Longhorns have. They just don't. Okay. It's an endless supply of arrogant cash 
And they really, they actually, a lot of these guys, <laughs> we can talk about how bad it looks, but I guarantee at the 19th hole, you know, at that all men's club in Houston where all those uh, old, all barren Texas A&M Aggies play golf, they're like, hell yeah, <laughs> 10 million, another 20, they need another 30 million, drop it in the bucket. Let's just go get us one that's good. That's all they care about. <laughs> that's all they care about. So, but but uh, a lot of that university money that that people do uh, criticize uh, ads about that that money's coming directly from the television rights, and uh, that kind of gets under my skin a little bit. Yeah. It does because this money, this revenue that that is sent into the, to these universities from the broadcast networks, it it, it could be doing a lot of good that it's not doing. Final thing here for you, Tim, and you brought up uh, the quarterback situation here. I want to leave on this. Uh, you were there. You were there calling the USC and Oregon game on Saturday night. I was sitting there and I said this exact same thing to my man Johnny at the at the finest restaurant here in Las Vegas, the Cosmopolitan of Blue Ribbon, having those dynamite chicken wings that I'm telling you about that I'm going to uh, invite you to next time you come to Vegas. And I said, right. we're watching Caleb Williams here. And, you know, I understand, you know, USC's having their problems, but as far as a quarterback, you can say what you want about Jaden Daniels, say what you want about Michael Penix and Bo Nix, but Tim, you saw it with your own eyes up close and personal. What this guy does on a weekly basis is just phenomenal. And how yeah. he makes, yeah. you know, something out of absolutely nothing, it's not even close, Tim, that he's the best quarterback again this year in college football, in my opinion, and that will translate to the NFL level. But talk about what you've seen from Caleb Williams. Well, he's an incredible talent. He is. I, 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 and he was under duress all night. Uh, he single-handedly kept him in the game for three, three and a half quarters almost. You know, the game wasn't really wrapped up until about maybe nine minutes was left in the game, eight or nine minutes, and Caleb was the reason for it. Uh, USC's defense was historically bad on their end too. Uh, I mean, they're just a very bad defense. And, um, without question, Lincoln Riley knows that he, he needs to do whatever he can to, to keep Caleb clean. And that's getting increasingly difficult, you know, clean from injury because the offensive line now is getting beat up to go along with, um, you know, the, the, the defensive issues that they've got in their secondary. Um, I, I think of, you know, people were talking about, I think it was Emmanuel Acho said, you know, it should be a business decision. You should just get out now, get ready for the combine. You know, I like Emmanuel. I didn't, I didn't like that take, but I understood where he was coming from with it. Um, the reality is a lot of guys would. I don't think Caleb is made that way. I think he, I think he is a strong leader. I think he, he does care about his teammates, and I think he cares about his team. And, uh, uh, you know, I, he t- he's been on the receiving end of a lot of negative shots from a number of pundits because of his um, emotions. You know, that picture of him crying with his mom in the Coliseum. A lot of people took umbrage to that and, and got on his case. I thought that was a bit unfair. Um, the only time that really I got a little bit up, upset with him was when he did the fingernail painting with the expletive before the Utah Pac-12 championship game last year. I didn't think that that was uh, uh, represented, um, you know, what a Heisman candidate should be doing, but he's a young guy too, you know, so everybody makes their mistakes. Mm. Uh, I love him as a player, and um, I do think that he cares about his teammates, and I do think he's a leader. Uh, I really do. Uh, He's not having the kind of year this year statistically, clearly, that he's that he's had in the past. I think Jaden Daniels, from a statistical standpoint, is without a doubt uh, the most productive quarterback this year. But he's not playing for a team that's going to win it all. And I think Bo Nix is, and I think Michael Penix is. Either one of those two guys, in my mind, are the leaders in the clubhouse for the Heisman Trophy. Mm-hmm. But, 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 but when you measure the, the player at the position and where they might go to the next level, how successful they might be, a lot always depends on where you wind up going. Uh, but I think that Caleb Williams, you can't watch all these guys right now and not say, if you had the first pick, that's not the, that's not the guy you're going to take. He's got to be the guy that you take at the next level as the first pick. No 
ifs, ands, or buts about it. Agree. That was my point exactly. My friend, appreciate you spending the time with us uh, today. Uh, great stuff, as always. And we'll uh, be looking for you uh, this weekend. All right? We'll watch you again, my friend. Well, I'll be up. Got to tune in Friday night. Yep. We'll be on in prime time in uh, your your uh, neck of the woods mm-hmm. on Friday night, and uh, we'll see if Dion can get his team on the doorstep of bowl eligibility. <laughs> but trust me, I will not ask him if he's considering uh. the A&M job, simply because Stephen A. tells us we should. Okay? <laughs> yeah. Hey, Dion, Stephen A. says that you should go to A&M. Could you give us your thoughts on that? <laughs> I don't think that's going to be uttered from my mouth. That's it. That's it. Well, enjoy the pack two. What's left of it, my friend, in the Palouse. And I'm sure. I can you imagine if you were doing a game with Rafferty? I mean, of the the places that you, the bars that you and Raff could hit in the Palouse area. <laughs> well, no. When I get with Raff, it'll be a week later, two weeks later. Yeah. We'll be in Wisconsin. Oh, yeah. uh, we'll be we'll be together. For Marquette in Wisconsin on second. Oh, I'll give you some Milwaukee joints. Night, hey, yeah. and then we'll be in Philly. Got to go to Wells Fargo for uh, Villanova UCLA on December the 9th in prime time on Fox. Mm, so. Look at that. The, the, that man has got more frequent flyer miles than anybody that I know and uh, uses them well. My friend, I appreciate the time as always, and we'll look forward to talking with you again real here, uh, real soon as we come to the college football playoff and get in the thick of things here of college basketball. TC. Yeah. So long from TV. Talk to you soon, bud. <laughs> Got it. My man. Tim Brando, one of the best. Outstanding. We got the carryover, Tim Brando. If you missed any part from our number one, where we talked about the Jim Harbaugh situation, along with plenty of other nonsense. I shouldn't say nonsense. That, that was prime. Prime time, great stuff. All right. His thoughts, and he never holds back regarding networks, the NCAA will never hold back. You know, he's great talking to him about music too. Timmy B, again, like myself, back in the day, doing the music, the DJing, all that stuff. And uh, he's carved out himself one of the uh, iconic, legendary careers and is still doing it today, both college football and college basketball. But yes, uh, as far as the Jimbo Fisher thing, Insane on the money that they are going to owe him until 2031. It's insane. Now, here's another thing. I should have brought this up, and I'm sure uh, Tim knows this, but it would have been great to hear him at least laugh because I love his laugh there. Do you realize in other, there's another college football coaching move as well, too, uh, today as well, too. So you had, too, you had the firing of Jimbo Fisher by AM. And then you also had the firing of Zach Arnett from Mississippi State. Mm-hmm. Now, remember, Arnett was named head coach after Mike Leach passed away last year. Mississippi State, four and six this year. Texas A&M, six and four. Texas A&M defeated Mississippi State Saturday, 51 to 10. It's the first time that I believe, definitely that I can remember, I'm pretty sure the first time that after a football game, both head coaches got fired. How about that? Both head coaches got fired after that football game. Both head coaches in one of the most predominant conferences in the SEC. Texas A&M, Jimbo Fisher, and Zach Garnett of Mississippi State. That uh, That is crazy. So we'll see uh, what happens with all of these uh Schools going forward here on, on what they're going to do. Why don't they get to Major League Baseball, to that realm, where they decided, oh, the manager really doesn't mean anything, so we're going to go ahead and pay minimums to the manager. Like that, huh? Yeah, pay him $500,000. You know, we're not going to pay managers, you know, four, five, six, eight million dollars, you know, unless you're guys like Bruce Bochy now, people of that nature. But yeah, and uh, we talked about it last week. We saw the Cleveland Guardians go minimal. Um, it'll be interesting to see what the Houston Astros do because they have named Joe Espada the bench coach. Been talking about that for a long time, that he was the guy in waiting. Knew that was happening. So uh had press conference earlier today where Joe Espada is named manager after Dusty Baker uh, stepped down and retired from managing the Houston Astros going back two weeks ago. So, But yeah, college football, coaching, 
out of control. The money's out of control. And you wonder where a lot of this money comes from. We know that the TV deals are insane, but Timmy B, Tim Brando hit the nail on the head. There's, you know, booster money, oil money in Texas. It's crazy. Do you know what the attendance was for the Texas A&M game against Mississippi State? Take a wild guess what you think the attendance was. I mean, what you really think it was. I mean, what it should be. What it, what 8, it was. 8,400? 8, 84,000, you mean? 8,400. 8,400. Oh, no, that's a bigger 8, stadium. Sorry. Yeah. Yeah. I'm sorry I even asked. No, 34,000. Yeah. No. At Texas A&M at Kyle Field, the attendance for that game Saturday was 103,266. How about that? The attendance at the Horseshoe, Michigan State at Ohio State Saturday, 105,137. And remind me to ask Marco next time he's on the show, because Marco D'Angelo was at the game at Penn State, Happy Valley, right? Michigan at Penn State. The attendance at that game, 110,856. Do the math. Do, a, no. do the math. Say, say, say the ticket average is $50. Come you, on. You know how I feel about this. F math. But all, F math. You need a calculator. Okay. Let's get our calculator. You got a calculator, right? I don't feel Come like on. getting it out. You got a calculator. You don't feel like, yeah. I want to know. What do you think the gross gate is? You want to be conservative and say $40, $50? What do you want? What do you think the average ticket price for a college football? We'll say 50 Okay. Just do 100 a hundred thousand dollars, a hundred thousand, a hundred thousand people at an average ticket price of fifty dollars. How much money is that? Five mil. Are you sure you, you don't know your zeros and your commas? Five you? mil. Is, is that what it is? Yeah. Five mil for one game. For one game. Your gate is five million. Unbelievable. <laughs> you sure you got your zeros and your commas and your and your dots in the right spot? Yeah, hundred percent. Yeah. Do you know how many pints there are to a gallon? Nope. <laughs> how many quarts there are to a? Where is it? Pints to a gallon? No, it's pints to a quart and then quarts to a gallon. No, nope. something like that. No. Nope. Yeah. Do you drink milk at all? Yeah. Okay. How you many? Bet. How many ounces in a monster? Depending on what size. All right. You probably have that down right, like sixteen point seven two two three. Right. I think it's. This this one is a fifteen point five. He just pulled out a monster, just like that. Fifteen five. Fifteen five. There it is. <sighs> we come back. Chuck Esposito will join us. We talk the weekend at the books on the football side. Turn your head and cough. Here's the doctor, T. C. Martin. Monday, and we get ready for a little Monday Night Football. Buffalo Bills, Denver Broncos, and a lot of people liking the Broncos tonight. I'm not seeing it. I'm not having it. No. What? Are they, all of a sudden, now they're on the Sean Payton bandwagon. Now they're on the Russell Wilson bandwagon. I don't know about it. Let's talk to our good friend Chuck Esposito over at Red Rock and the Station Casinos Properties. What's happening, Chucky Chuck? Oh, good, T. Numbers crept up a little bit. 78% of the tickets are on the Bills. A lot of overaction we're seeing. Don't forget a team in the same division, the Dolphins. The Broncos gave up 72. But uh, but we'll see. But it looks like we're going to be big Bronco fans tonight when this game kicks off. It's funny, Chuck, as you say, that, you know, I know there's some sharp money we had heard, you know, coming on the Broncos a little bit, but in public, understandable, favorites, overs, we know all about that. We'll get into those results over the weekend. But when you look at this Buffalo team, obviously they have not been a good, uh, favorites covering team here. Uh, I'm still under the belief that this team is better than they've shown. You know, if uh, things were going to end today, Buffalo would be on the outside looking in for a playoff position right now. I think they're, they're ninth in the AFC, which seems kind of mind-boggling, right? And uh, there is that fraction of people that think that the Broncos are have started to turn the corner uh, with Sean Payton and Russell Wilson. Give me, give me your thoughts on the Broncos. Yeah, 
I'm not sold on the Broncos right now, T. I still think there's a lot of – there seems to be internal problems on that team. But I think I can say the same thing about the Bills. I thought going in to the season, the Bills were one of the best teams. I thought they would have a chance um, to get to the Super Bowl. I love Josh Allen. I love some of the moves they made in the offseason. But they continue to make bad mistakes, turn the ball over, play to the level of their opponent. Although they did have a big win against the um, Dolphins earlier this season – they just aren't as good as I guess I think we thought they are. And the Dolphins are so good right now. And a host of teams that are above 500 in the AFC, especially the entire AFC North, that this Bills team, as you mentioned, is on the outside looking in. So they've got the toughest schedule in the league on the second half of the season. They have winnable games this week and next week before it gets really tough. So it's a game they have to win tonight against Denver. Chuck, were you going to Dennis Green on me there? I mean, they're not who they thought who we thought we were. Is that what you're trying to say? That's that's a good bear analogy, I think. There it is, Dennis Green. Where are you at? Who we thought they were. <laughs> that's why we took the damn field. And let them off the hook. <laughs> if you want to crown them, then crown their ass. <laughs> but they are who we thought they were, and we let them off the hook. There it is, Chuck. You nailed it. There it is. I knew it. I knew that was coming, buddy. <laughs> Did well, you led us right into it, man. That was perfect. Uh, For sure. Uh, all right. How about the Niners? Niners are back. They're only favored by three, Chuck. Were there a lot of people like myself that were all over the Niners? Unfortunately, T, that was one of our biggest decisions of the day, and it didn't work out our way. Mm, sorry to hear that. Everybody was back in the Niners, um, really, you know, coming off three straight losses playing a Jags team coming off the bye as well. Really thought that, you know, maybe we'd be in a spot where you'd see uh, um, them bounce back. But, uh, hey, it's a Niner team that needed to win. They played well. They, they pick up Young at the trade deadline. They got Debo Samuel back. Um, they're, uh, they're a good team. Cleveland comes from behind to beat Baltimore. This looked like it was going to be a boat race early on. It was with uh, the Ravens rolling, but hey, I guess uh, let's give J- Deshaun Watson some credit here. He rallied the team. They come back with a 33-31 victory. I thought when the Browns missed the extra point, when Hopkins missed the extra point, I was like, oh, are you kidding me? But then he came came back and nailed the last second field goal to get the win there for the Browns. Uh, how'd you guys stand on that game? Is there, we remember that Baltimore was a six point favorite in this one? Yeah, I mean, we talked about the uh, the Niner game, T, but really the two games that kind of saved us in the morning and saved us for the day were the Browns winning outright against the Ravens and the Texans winning outright against the Bengals. Straight parlays, teasers, money line parlays, all four categories really went our way for these two games. Had we lost these two, those two games, I think it would have been one of the, the worst Sundays of the year so far. But that really saved the day, getting two money line dogs to win outright. Isn't it amazing, Chuck, when you look at this Houston Texans team? And I was uh, a guy that uh, was on the other side with the Bengals yesterday thinking, okay, you know, when you handicap this game, the, the Texans have really lost to some inferior competition early on the season, especially on the road. But they are really playing some good football. And then yesterday, uh, they showed it. They showed it and they went into Cincinnati. They took it to them. And like you said, they win the game outright 30 to 27. What is your take? On this uh, Texans team, specifically C.J. Stroud? They're, they're starting to play well at the right time. Um, I think more importantly, you look at C.J. Stroud, only one interception going into yesterday. He threw that bad one late in the game, with, which almost flipped the script. But he looks like he's a KG veteran. I mean, you look at the stats that he's put up the last couple of weeks, the fact that he threw for over 470 last week. Um, you know, there, there's guys like Burrow, and uh, and Mahomes and Allen, who are in that mix. They're only one game behind the Jags right now, who they host next week. Uh, not this week, I'm sorry, the week after. They've already beaten the Jags once this year. Um, you've got to look at that team and think Rhines is up for Coach of the Year, and C.J. Stroud is actually in the MVP discussion right now. So really, really good young quarterback. I mean, I'd hate to be a Carolina Panther fan right now because you're thinking like, did we really pass this kid up in the draft? Mm-hmm. Did we really give up what we gave and this kid was on the board? Um, maybe Young will develop into a really good quarterback. He doesn't have a lot around him right now. 
but C.J. Stroud really looks like the best player, uh, best quarterback to come out of last year's draft class. Yeah, and I think that you hit the nail on the head there. You know, it's all about you know where you go, the development, the coaching, and obviously with Houston, with D'Amico Ryan's as their head coach. I mean, he's a defensive guy, but he's been around the league so long as a player, as an assistant coach, and I think there are better pieces that Houston has in comparison to Carolina, and especially when you look at you know the the sad state of affairs that Carolina quarterbacks have had over the last few years, especially with that that offensive line, it hasn't been very good. You kind of feel bad for. For Bryce Young, but I think that, you know, over time, I think Young can develop into a good quarterback, especially, you know, even though he's kind of, you know, on, on the smaller side. But Stroud, I think, just got into a better situation there, Chuck, with, with better coaching and better talent. Yeah, I'm not going to disagree with you, T. I, I think you're right that there is a good offensive line there. I think you look at the receivers that they have, if it's Dell or, or Brown, um, uh, they've got, um, they've got some Collins. They've got some good Robert Woods, good young talent there. Singletary played really well at running back. They were able to trade up and get Will Anderson as well. So they mortgaged stuff to get like that, that centerpiece on offense and that centerpiece on defense. And you're right. I think that is a better situation. He does remind me more of a Jalen Hurts type just because of his body type and, and his size. Um, others, you know, smaller stature quarterbacks have had some success. Um, but you look at Russell Wilson, he was much more of a running quarterback. I think completion percentage-wise, he was always in the bottom third, but he was so creative that he was able to find his guys downfield. And Young is not that same running-type quarterback. He's more of a stand-in-the-pocket type guy, although he can run, and just those passing lanes aren't there. They've talked about we need to find him a wide receiver. What did they trade when they traded up to number one with the Bears? They traded DJ Moore. He desperately needs a wide receiver like that. Um, we'll see how, how his confidence is shaken by the end of this year, but it's uh, it's a tough spot for a young quarterback to be in because that team really isn't very good. Uh, Dallas uh, completes uh, the handicap. They blow teams out at home. <laughs> they blew up the Giants yesterday, winning by 32. The line 17 and a half, 49-17, the final for the Cowboys yesterday, Chuck. I bet it was uh, kind of hard trying to get any Giants uh, tickets written, right? Even though you're saying, hey, you, anybody want the 17 and a half? Oh, wait a minute, Tommy DeVito? No, nah, no thank you. Yeah, it, uh, it was rough, T, no question at all. Um, kind of surprised that the Cowboys were actually throwing late in the game. I wasn't sure if it was going to be a, a handshake or a, a suplex when the two coaches met at, uh, at midfield. Um, after the game, but, uh, you're right. The Cowboys were able to beat up some of these lesser teams. Um, they did lose, you know, a big game to the Cardinals earlier in the season. They still trail the Eagles, but they're still a good team. And you look at their schedule, they've got a few winnable games the next couple of weeks. They're, they're big favorites against the Panthers this week. They host the Commanders on Thanksgiving. Big favorites there as well. So they're still a really, really good team and are in the mix. Um, but, uh, couldn't get a bet on the G-Men yesterday, unfortunately. Um, we were we were big G men fans, and uh, no luck with uh, with Tommy DeVito and the rest of the four seasons. I noticed that you guys, and I'm not sure where this line closed at, Chuck. And let me know if you can, because uh, the Lions, I saw two, and, I saw the line three, and then I saw it go to two and a half uh, over the Chargers. And those that had the two and a half, they got paid with the Lions yesterday. Uh, if you got the three, then obviously it was a push, forty-one thirty-eight in a game that flew over the total. Where did that line end up for you yesterday? Yeah, it, it did close three T. It kind of ping ponged back and forth a little bit. It crept up to three. We did see some some sharp play plus the three, move the game back down, but it did close three. Um, really impressed with the the Lions again. Um, I I think for me they're the third best team in the NFC. I know I just talked about the Cowboys a little bit. I think the Lions, the the confidence that they have on both sides of the ball, they they seem to embody their coach with that kind of mentality and throwback style. I love the Lions team, and Jared Goff's playing great. You get Montgomery back now. They still haven't really got Jamison Williams in the mix that much offensively, but St. Brown is healthy. They're a really fun and good team to watch. Um, we, we were Charger fans uh, yesterday, and uh, but this Lions team, a winnable game. You know, this week against the Bears, uh, they're good-sized favorites on Turkey Day as well. Um, they're a team that I think is really, really good. And, again, for me, they're the third-best team right now in the NFC. There it is. There's our breaking news sounder. You heard it, ladies and gentlemen. You heard it at, from his mouth. Chuck Esposito, longtime Bears fan. 
said he likes the Detroit Lions. Chuck, you can't be saying that. I didn't say I liked them. I heard I said you said the I best team in the NFC. No, you go back two sentences earlier. You go, you know, I like the Lions. There you go. <laughs> I do. I, I do. <laughs> uh, I, I, hey, Chuck. You, like you know, pa- it's much better that the Lions are playing well than the Packers. I knew that so was coming. <laughs> I, I can live with that, D. I can live with the Lions a little bit more uh, than the Green Bay Packers. Uh, go, Pack, go! Hey, full disclosure, I was on the Steelers yesterday. There it is. A little Had to sweat a little bit at the end. but nope. <laughs> You did. A missed extra point kind of saved you a bit Woo! there, my friend. It did. All right. Uh, Raiders and Jets, virtually a pick em. Last night, I know it sounded like you guys needed um, the um, the Jets, I guess, in that situation, right? So, talk a little yeah, bit about we that were... game and and did you get much two way action or because I did see the line flipping a little bit, especially early in the week. It, it, it did ping pong a bit. T it was two and a half last Monday before the Jets Chargers game um, was re put up Tuesday morning at one and a half, um, and then we saw it kind of hover around that you know Jets one pick a little bit. Um, and we saw good kind of two-way money, but the last kind of 24 hours leading up into the kickoff, it was pretty much all Raiders. We were clearly Jet fans last night. The thing that really helped was that we were able to keep it under the total. Yep. We saw a lot of over money for whatever reason with these two teams that really showed, but, uh, but we were Jet fans last night. Looked like we had that game early on, but, uh, hey, hats off to the Raiders. I, um, they've done a really good job two straight weeks. It looks like they're having fun out there. I don't know if O'Connell's their long-term answer, but he seems to kind of energize that offense a bit, getting guys like Devontae Adams involved. You look at Josh Jacobs, his two best games of the year have come the last two weeks. So they've got a tough task this week playing in Miami where they're huge underdogs, uh, but the Raiders have played really well the last two weeks and have clearly gotten the betters the money. Um, in, in over the last two weeks against both New York teams. All right. And let's give a shout out to UNLV, the Rebels Friday night victorious over Wyoming, blowing them out, Chuck, 34 14. Uh, that was great to watch that game and to see the Rebels as only three point favorites, uh, cover that game easily. And, uh, that line was, was, uh, m- much higher earlier in the week, right? Why did money come in on Wyoming? I'm not sure. He actually went to the game. I was really impressed with the way UNLV played. It was fun to watch. I mean, defensively, they're they're fast and they're good. I think their offensive uh, coordinator is a has done a terrific job. Hopefully, we can retain him. Um, but there was a lot of Wyoming fans. The only thing I can think of is that the Wyoming fans pushed that number down a little bit because, from an industry standpoint, it did open around three, climbed as high as around five and a half or six before kind of plummeting back down a bit. Uh, wasn't really that much sharp play that did that. But Wyoming, I believe, is undefeated at home, winless on the road. Um, but we were huge Wyoming fans that night. But, again, one of the keys was we were able to keep that game under, which really helped. Yep, and uh, it was. It was a good atmosphere and great game there Friday night at Allegiant Stadium. Chuck, I appreciate the time. As always, get over to any of the Station Casino's properties, the STM mobile app, so easy to use. Bet from the palm of your hand and uh, get over there to any of the properties tonight to watch the Bills take on the Broncos. I will be at one of your properties tonight, Chuck, myself, uh, enjoying some uh, fine dining as well as some football. So I am looking forward to that. All right, T. I know you love to enjoy some fine dining, so that's awesome, buddy. <laughs> yeah, I got a parlay going, uh, Chuck. I've got uh, fine dining to the Bills. How's that? Hopefully, love it. Hopefully, I'm two for ah. two. <laughs> Sounds good, buddy. Good luck. Take care, brother. I appreciate you. All right, you too. Thanks, T. That's my guy, Chuck Esposito, over at Red Rock. All right, uh, Raiders victorious last night, sixteen to twelve. We talked a lot about that in hour number one. You heard from Antonio Pierce, the interim head coach, now two and zero. Aiden O'Connell getting the victory last night as quarterback. Here's what Aiden O'Connell had to say about facing one of the best defenses in the NFL in the Jets. And that's like you said, it's it's an unbelievable unit. It starts up front for them. They got some great players up front and um, great linebackers, great secondary. And so, yeah, we knew obviously with Colton out, um, you, you never want the guys to be down. But guys stepped up and played really well. I held on to the ball too much in the first half and uh, probably got in trouble with, with those sacks there. And so. Um, you know, put those on me. I got to get rid of the ball faster, make better decisions. And so, man, super proud of the offensive line battled their butts off, ran the ball well. It was a tough game. It was up and down. And, um, obviously we were down and had to come back. And, um, even the second half up and down, we, even each drive, there was ups and downs, you know, getting, 
second and short and then penalty or a bad play by us or um, a negative play on first and 10 and behind the stick. So kind of just, you know, all over the place and definitely not a super clean performance from us. Um, but, you know, it's it's really hard to win in the National Football League as I'm learning. And, um, you know, I think it's just really proud of our, our guys, our defense, special teams, an awesome job keeping us in the game for a while. And then, you know, a lot of guys on offense stepped up to make plays when they needed to. Only one touchdown in the game last night, and that was Aiden O'Connell to Michael Mayer. Only touchdown, and it was huge. Here's the quarterback's thoughts about his touchdown pass last night to Mayer. Yeah, I think pretty early on, Michael's shown us that he's a, a special player. Even Ricky Minicamp, um, I remember him just being the super tough guy. I remember like him having blisters all over his feet and his socks are full of blood. And um, we knew, I think, as an offense and as a team, we had a, a you know a really good young player there, and um, he did an awesome job making an awesome play. You know, I kind of just threw it up and let him be a football player. And uh, man, he he made an awesome play. That was great protection again by the offensive line too. I held on the ball. They were even still a little bit too long, and so. Um, just it's kudos to the guys around me for making plays. All right, Aiden O'Connell and talking about the Raiders' victory last night, sixteen to twelve over the lowly Jets. So the Raiders sweep the two New York teams, New York slash New Jersey teams, with the uh, victory last night. But the schedule is going to get much tougher. Miami coming up on Sunday, and uh, we'll see how the Raiders perform with that. I want to thank Chuck Esposito for joining us over at Red Rock, and of course Tim Brando. Great stuff with him. Talking about the college football aspect with Jimbo Fisher being fired by AM and the Jimbo collecting a lot of money still. Huh? Him and Bobby Bonilla. Bobby Bo. July 1st. What are they going to name? You know, what day is going to be Jimbo Fisher Day? Where he just has that automatic check coming until 2031. Can you imagine that? Getting a huge check every, every year for the next eight years. Unbelievable. All right, if you missed any part of the show, go to the website, check it all out, tcmartinshow.com. Check out our Raiders recap is on the website as well up there. Thoughts from Mike Tice, Trevor Manich from Friday's show. Go listen to that. Their thoughts about the Jim Harbaugh situation and Michigan, and we'll have more on that on a terrible Tuesday edition tomorrow. Have yourself a good one. Thanks for joining us. Hasta la vista, baby. Bills, Broncos, tonight, fine food. Yeah.